This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in the state of South Carolina. I hope you've had a great day, and thank you for joining us wherever you are dialed in tonight. Looking forward to another great show. Just made it over from Founders Park. Watched a little bit of South Carolina and Queens this afternoon. Gamecocks continuing to feed on inferior pitching as they lead Queens, the Royals, 8 to nothing in the bottom of the seventh. They have the bases loaded. They have two away. And so they're looking to add some more here quite possibly and make this an even greater route. Are the Gamecocks this good? Are they this strong offensively, or is this fool's gold through five games? I mean, time will tell because eventually they're going to run into better pitching uh, starting next week, of course, when they get to Clemson next weekend. And that'll be kind of a indicator, I think, for all concerned. Of course, this weekend they get, they get Penn at home. They say Penn's not all that bad. Then it's North Carolina A&T in the midweek next week. Uh, and then the three-game series with Clemson. So we'll find out more come next weekend. And same thing for Clemson. We'll find out more. Though the Tigers did play a little better competition yesterday when they played Charlotte and won that game, though it was a little bit of a struggle. They did have one tough game against Binghamton in that weekend series. Clemson is off today, and the Gamecocks have just put three more on the board. Bases clearing double by Denny. And it makes it 11 to nothing, Gamecocks, in the bottom of the seventh. We'll give you complete details on the ball game coming up in just a moment. Of course, basketball tonight galore all over the place, including right here in Columbia. South Carolina takes on the number two team in the country, the team that was number one. Now they're number two. That's Alabama, the team right now that is atop the SEC and looking very, very strong as we head down the stretch here in February headed towards March, a team that appears loaded to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. Alabama is 23-4 and overall, 13-1 and in the SEC. With Texas A&M winning last night, Texas A&M is right behind them at 13-2 and in league play, 21-7 and overall. Kentucky is 9-5 and in the league, and Tennessee now 9-6. and Tennessee... Of course, they've had a little injury situation of late. Uh, Tennessee, not not the team that uh, we thought going into the season. With everybody coming back and the additions that Rick Barnes made, thought they would run through everybody, but that has not been the case. Nine and six in league play. The Gamecocks are three and eleven in the league. Ten and seventeen overall, coming off that win at LSU, in which they shot the ball extremely well. Can they shoot the ball well again tonight? It will take that against this talented Alabama team, which has three connections to the state of South Carolina. Of course, you have got one of the leading contenders, I would imagine, one of the leading contenders for the SEC Rookie of the Year or Newcomer of the Year. 
however you want to word it. Uh, Noah Clowney out of Dorman, uh, he has been really good for uh, Alabama. 6'10", 210-pound freshman, averaging about 25 minutes per game, right at 10 points per game, and uh, eight rebounds per game. So that's that's really good. Then there's Nick Pringle, 6'9", out of Whale Branch, and he went to Wofford, and then he transferred to Dodge City Junior College. Now, he's playing about eight minutes a game, averaging about three points and about three rebounds per game. And then third is Noah Gurley, the former Furman standout. He's a grad student, 6'8", 215. He's averaging about 15 and a half minutes, five points, and three rebounds per game. So it's Clowney who is the, the major contributor, but they get something from Gurley and they get something from Pringle as well. Of course, the star of the show and the center of the controversy the last couple of days is Brandon Miller, and he will be in the lineup tonight. He will start tonight as things stand right now for Alabama. We talked all about this last night. 6'9", forward, freshman out of Antioch, Tennessee. He's averaging about 19 points per game, about eight rebounds per game, uh, averaging over 32 minutes per game. So, he is not only a contender, strong contender, maybe the leader for the freshman of the year in the SEC, but also the player of the year in the SEC, and a guy widely expected to be an early pick, a top five pick in the NBA draft. As long as nothing else crops up from this uh, situation that um, uh, we talked about last night with the murder and the gun and everything else, as long as there's nothing else that comes out that involves him, uh, he will be an early pick in the NBA draft. As for this Alabama team, they're coming off an incredibly one-sided win over Georgia. I mean, Georgia's not a bad team, and Alabama beat them 108-59 to the other day. They took out their frustrations after losing to Tennessee. They lost at Tennessee 68-59. Before that, they won at Auburn. They beat Florida. They won at LSU. And they crushed Vanderbilt back on January 31st, 101 to 44. So, point is here if you're not careful, uh, they can certainly embarrass you. Now, they went to Oklahoma back in late January and laid an egg in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. They were beaten by the Sooners 93 to 69. So, they've, they've had their off days as well. Their only other loss says, only other loss says, were to Gonzaga, 190, and then way back in November, they lost to UConn, 82-67. So, like everybody, they're prone to have an off night here and there, but for the most part, they're, they are a deep and talented team that looks uh, loaded for a, a deep run in the NCAA tournament uh, coming up this season here in just uh, a little bit. So you got that game here in Columbia, Alabama leads the series with the Gamecocks 33-16 and has won nine of the last ten and five in a row against the Gamecocks. And that game will tip off at 9 o'clock, which on the one hand I'm happy about because now I can casually stroll over to the Colonial Life Arena and take in the whole show. You know, I get to see the pregame. I get to see the introductions. I get to see tip-off instead of getting there with like 10 minutes to play when they have their 6.30 tips or their seven o'clock tips so i get to see the whole thing so that's good now tonight up at little john coliseum you've got clemson taking on syracuse and of course 
the Tigers, they need a win in the worst way. They are 19-8, and 11-5, and five, and they're on the NCAA tournament bubble, but their, their pants are greased. I think another loss, they slip off the bubble. You know, some people already have them off the bubble. Some people have them on the bubble. A loss tonight to a 16-win Syracuse team would be devastating for Clemson as far as their at-large hopes. Of course, there's always the hope of running the tur- of the table at the I- ACC tournament and winning your way in that way. But that is an extreme long shot. You don't want to put your hopes on winning the ACC tournament. This is not how you want to finish now, if you're Clemson. The Tigers have lost four of their last five. They uh, lost at Boston College. They lost to Miami. They lost to North Carolina. They broke that three-game losing streak with a 40-point win over Florida State, but then they go to Louisville, and they catch Louisville on a good night, and they lose by 10. So they are trending downward right now. They've got a chance here to turn it around the way the schedule finishes for them. Syracuse tonight. At NC State, which is looking pretty good right now. At Virginia, which of course is the is the leader in the league and has really played good basketball the last month. And then wrapping it up at home in the regular season against Notre Dame. So, I mean, the Tigers just have to go win ball games. I think it, it might take winning three out of four here down the stretch. Three out of four would make them twenty two and nine, and 14 and six in the ACC. Now, you would think it's the ACC. You would think 22 wins and 14 league wins would get you in. But the ACC is not viewed that way right now. I mean, they're like RPI-wise, not real high, not as high as they are used to being. Uh, The SEC is number two in the RPI as a conference, the or the net. Is it net or RPI? We're talking RPI. The ACC is sixth in the RPI as a conference. So it is not where they are used to being as a league. So, so the Tigers, um, they need to win every, every game the rest of the way if they can. But if they can go three out of four and then uh, win their first-round game at the ACC tournament, I would think that would be enough. Maybe it would take another win, maybe two wins at the ACC tournament. Maybe they, let's see, the tournament begins on Wednesday with the play-in round, and then you've got, um, no, it begins on Tuesday. It begins on Tuesday with the play-in round. If you can avoid that, you'd play on Wednesday, and then you'd play on Thursday in the quarterfinals. So if they can win that first-round game, they can avoid the play-in round, win that first-round game, win that quarterfinal round game, get to the semifinals, and and do so by winning three of their last four here in the regular season. I, I got to believe that gets them in. I got to believe it gets them in. But they've got to um, – well, they shot the ball so well last time at home against Florida State. That was ridiculous. Now, they're going to get a chance to shoot some uh, – well, they're going to get – the, the three-point opportunity against this 2-3 zone will be there if you move the ball quickly enough. But – if you also pass the ball effectively enough, you're going to get some looks inside. And I've seen Brad Brownell set up his offense against Syracuse in the past where he would flash somebody in the post and you'd have that 
open jumper from the foul line all game long, and you just had to knock it down. Tevin Mack, I can remember, had a career night against Syracuse by flashing into the into the key area, into the foul line area, and just knocking down jump shot after jump shot because that's a weakness in the 2-3 zone if you move the ball quickly enough, if your passing is efficient enough. So we'll see what happens with that with Clemson tonight. That's a 7 o'clock tip up at uh, Little John Coliseum. Okay. Meantime, in baseball, South Carolina now has added another run. Let me give you some details on this game. They're in the top of the eighth. The Gamecocks put six on the board in the seventh, and now they lead at 12 nothing in the top of the eighth. 12-10-0 for the Gamecocks, 0-2-0 for Queens. So the Gamecocks done only with the offense and the power. They've getting the, they're getting the pitching as well. Power, well, they've hit one home run. They've hit one home run, and they had a couple of others. They had a couple of others that were taken back from being home runs listening to the call of Tommy Moody where they hit long fly balls that were going to leave the park and the outfielders brought them back in. So they were robbed of a couple of other home runs apparently. But Denny has five RBIs and a couple of hits for the Gamecocks today and also swinging a hot bat is Petri. I think I called him Petrie yesterday. Listening today, they, they, they are pronouncing it Petri. He's two for three with an RBI. But Denny uh, has um, a couple of doubles and five ribbies on the day. On the mound, Hicks went five innings, allowed two hits, struck out five, and he walked two. Becker came on, went two innings. He walked one and struck out two. Williamson is on now, and he's walked one in two-thirds of an inning. So the Gamecocks have walked four, struck out seven. The Gamecocks today have been hit five times. So that's another thing. They've hit now 20 homers on the season, and I think they've been hit about 20 times as well. And they've also drawn six walks. So their on-base percentage is through the, is through the roof. So they are up uh, 12 to nothing as they play there. Also, a couple of other games to update, and then Chris will join us from Statesboro, uh, Upstate is leading or has beaten North Florida 9-4. to And also in the state today, we've got Presbyterian has defeated Western Carolina 3 to nothing In the sixth, NC State all over Coastal Carolina 15-3. to And that is it, as I see here, for state teams, other state teams playing. We'll update the scoreboard more as we move along. But let's go to Statesboro, Georgia. Another game in basketball tonight. It's Coastal Carolina against Georgia Southern. Shauna Clears playing their last two regular season games tonight and Saturday before going to the Sunbelt Tournament in Pensacola. And with them, of course, the play-by-play voice of the shots. He is Chris Bergen. Good afternoon, sir. Hello, sir. I enjoyed that monologue. You hit on everything. I was impressed. Um, actually, uh, Coastal wraps up the season on Friday. They changed it just in case there were delays for whatever reason. Also wanted to give teams that would have to play in the uh, opening round on Tuesday maybe an extra day to get ready. And Coastal right now is sitting in that bottom four, which is not where you want to be. They've got a chance to climb out. It starts tonight against Georgia Southern. I want to pass along a note I was going to, but he had to go over and get ready for his broadcast. But uh, former Citadel broadcaster Danny Reed is now the uh, play-by-play voice and does a terrific job at Georgia Southern. And he wanted me to tell you hello. Well, tell him we said hello back. Yep. Uh, he was going to sit in with us, but he uh, had to jump on the air, so we didn't get a chance to uh, 
get him on board to get his take. But this should be an interesting game. This is a Georgia Southern team, record-wise, not a whole lot better than Coastal, sitting at a 14 and 15 overall and 7 and 9 in the league, two games clear of the uh, Shawna Clears. But the interesting thing, Phil, talk so much in college basketball about how important it is to score, shoot threes and run up and down the floor and do all that kind of stuff. It's a Georgia Southern team that half their wins have come when they've scored less than 70 points. They've actually beaten teams this season when they've scored in the 50s. Mm. Now we're talking about old school prior to the shot clock type basketball. They love Brian Berg as their head coach. He's a former, basically a Chris Beard disciple. He worked under him at Texas Tech before coming over here. And he prides himself on defense, and they play some extremely good defense. But if they can get it up and down, they're awfully tough to beat, especially here at home. So we'll see what happens at uh, 7 o'clock when this one tips off. All right, what seems to be the mood of the Coastal team after that heartbreaking loss at home on Saturday, a game that, uh, by all intents and purposes, against Texas State, they had a great chance to win, but just didn't get it done down the stretch. You think they've recovered from that, kind of put that behind them? I think they have, Phil. They've been a pretty resilient bunch. This is a team that has sort of lived in that, that category of games you saw on Saturday against Texas State where they lose games by one possession. They've actually, this season, they've had a total of five games decided by three points or less, and three of those games actually were decided by one point. So they just not found a way, and I asked Cliff Ellis for our pregame conversation when you're a coach and you have so many games to come down to the final possession, us as fans, broadcasters, and the media, we probably zero in on what happens at the end. But I asked him, is it more instructional for your team to actually go back through the game and maybe see things you didn't do well in the first half and show the guys and say, all right, here's the reason it came down to that last second shot that we didn't convert because we didn't make some plays, you know, with 14 minutes left to go in the game. And he said, you basically have to go through and dissect an entire ball game like that because you get 70 possessions or so in a basketball game. And if you play well for 69 of them, but that 70th, you know, the, the first or second possession of the ball game goes against you, it might cost you a game. And Coastal has certainly had that happen to them numerous times this year. Yeah, been that kind of season for them. So we'll see if they can pick up a couple of wins, uh, one tonight and one on uh, on Friday night. Uh, you heard my – and I'm sorry I missed Danny. I didn't realize you guys were standing by, so that's on me. Kept on gathering uh, on there, so sorry I missed you. But you heard my comments on the Gamecocks and the Tigers and their respective games coming up. What's your take on what those two are facing tonight? Well, South Carolina obviously is a huge challenge in front of them. I'd be interested to see how Alabama sort of encirculates, you know, shoots, sort of closes itself off from the outside noise the past couple of days. Whichever way you feel about whether or not Brandon Miller should be playing, and we went into that in great detail last night, but if you don't believe he should play or you're an Alabama fan, you think he should be out there, there's no question he has been the center of a firestorm in college basketball the last 24 hours or so. So I'll be really interested to watch his progress tonight and see how he plays. And Alabama sort of goes as he goes, and they've been really, really good, and he's been really, really good. Gamecocks cannot, and again, it's a home game where they have started out so poorly all season long, Phil. You can't, you can't expect to fall down 15-5, to 5, let's say, to a team like Alabama and hope because you're playing at home you're going to be able to make the comeback and win that ballgame. You've got to come out and play like you did against Kentucky, like you did this past week against LSU, and jump on them early and then find a way to hang on. And, and maybe, you know, five minutes left to go in the game. Who knows? Give yourself a chance against one of and arguably the best teams in the country and maybe the best team 
in the SEC. And for Clemson, just get back to what they did against Florida State. They've, they've just got to win this game. They'll find a way. If you win it by two, if you win it by 22, it doesn't matter. They've got to win tonight. They can ill afford to drop a game right now because I, I think you bring up an interesting point. What's good enough for them in a down year in the ACC? I think even if they were to win, say, three or four of the, you know, their final games here, Phil, I still think they probably have to go into the quarterfinals at worst of the Atlantic Coast Conference Tournament because of those quad four losses. That's going to come back and bite them in the backside and make their job that much more difficult. So, as you pointed out, win ball games, and that starts tonight against Syracuse, a team they can beat and should beat at home. Yeah, I would agree. And, um, they they have an opportunity if they play good basketball. I mean, it's up to them. They've got to go win some games and take care of their business. But they do control their destiny here, I think. It's easier said than done when you consider they still have to play Virginia and NC State in this game tonight, and Notre Dame and whoever they face in the ACC tournament. But if they just simply win, they're going to be okay. In other words, they're not in a position that winning is not going to be enough to get it done. If they just win, then they're going to be fine. But – you know, after the way they they played against Louisville, you really have to wonder. You really have to wonder about um, what kind of performance you can expect out of them tonight. Here is the story that came out a couple of hours ago from the University of Alabama as the school announced that Brandon Miller will play tonight, and the school released the following statement, quote, UA Athletics continues to cooperate fully with law enforcement in the ongoing investigation of this tragic situation. Based on all the information we have received, Brandon Miller is not considered a suspect in this case, only a cooperative witness. Today's statement from Brandon's lawyer adds additional context that the university has considered as part of its review of the facts. Based on all of the facts we have gathered, Brandon remains an active member of of our team. All right. And so Miller was not charged, of course, as we've talked about. The Tuscaloosa Chief Deputy District Attorney, Paula Whitley, told AL.com that, quote, there's nothing we could charge Miller with, end quote. And the uh, AD at Alabama, in an ESPN interview, said Alabama learned some, quote, new facts, end quote, in the last 48 hours, both from yesterday's hearing and afterward. He said the decision to allow Miller to play was made in consultation with the university's president, Dr. Stuart R. Bell, basketball coach Nate Oates, university legal counsel, and others at the school. He said, quote, collectively, we decided Brandon was able to play, end quote. He said he added that Alabama did not know of the text message asking Miller to bring the gun to the scene until it emerged in the court hearing Tuesday. Quote from Byrne, quote, our role in a criminal investigation is to support law enforcement, not to conduct our own investigation and not to interfere with their efforts. Although we're not investigators, we do have a duty to evaluate whether anyone involved in our program has violated the rules, policies, or standards of the university. We make that evaluation based on facts. End of quote. Byrne went on to say some of the new information that emerged from Tuesday's hearing and afterward impacted the school's decision. The text that Miles allegedly sent to Miller according to the testimony, 
stated a slang term for wanting his gun, quote, I need my joint, uh, end quote. Burns said that Alabama learned of that text from the hearing and then learned that Miller had already been on his way to pick up Miles when the text arrived. He added that Miles had wanted to be picked up for close to an hour before Miller made his way over and was, quote, already almost there, end quote, when the text arrived. He went on to say that Miller never left his vehicle, was not involved in the collection of the weapon, and that Darius had been asking Brandon to come pick him up for close to an hour. Brandon was already on his way to pick Darius up when he received the text message for him that was reported yesterday. End of quote. Now, the attorney for Miller, Jim Standridge, released a statement today reiterating some of those points in an attempt to, quote, provide additional facts on Brandon's behalf in response to misstatements in reporting yesterday regarding Brandon, end quote. We'll pick back up on this after the break. It's a big story around here, of course. Back in a moment. Okay, we're back on Sports Talk. Phil Kornblut, Pat Daniel from our studios here in downtown Columbia. Our phone number, 888-898-2525. That's the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number here on Sports Talk. If you'd like to join us tonight as we got a lot to talk about. Since 2002, more than $572 million in lottery proceeds has been used to fund Palmetto Fellow Scholarships for the state's college-bound students. Learn more about the South Carolina Education Lottery's impact at sceducationlottery.com slash educationwins, and playing for fun is a win for education. So this question about Brandon Miller and should he or should he not be on the Alabama basketball team at this point uh, continues after what was released today by the University of Alabama. We were telling you some of what was uh, released today by his attorney, the attorney for Brandon Miller, Jim Standridge, as one of his attorneys. And so, just picking back up, up on that, Standridge said in his statement that Miller was on his way to pick up Miles when he received that text from Miles telling him to bring his gun on the night of the shooting. Standridge wrote that Miller never saw Miles's handgun, that it was concealed under some clothing in the back seat of the car. He added that Miller never touched the gun or was involved in his exchange to Davis, the alleged shooter. Police had testified Tuesday that Davis was dancing in front of Harris's Jeep. Harris, I believe, was the person who was shot. So Davis was dancing in front of that Jeep, leading to an exchange between Davis and Harris's boyfriend, Cedric Johnson. Now, according to Standridge, Miller was unaware of the previous confrontation between the two parties and also did not get out of his car and had already parked it when Johnson's Jeep later pulled up behind him, thereby not intentionally blocking its exit. There's been some reporting that he was blocking the exit, and some believe it to be intentional, 
His attorney says not. Miller, whose windshield was hit by gunfire, left when the shooting started. Standridge said, quote, all of the events described above are clearly captured on video. There is no dispute about Brandon's activities during this evening. End of the quote. And you heard what Nate Oates had to say yesterday. And, of course, he kind of backtracked on his original comments. According to his AD, speaking to ESPN, Oates had not been briefed on this new information that emerged from the hearing which led on Tuesday night to Oates clarifying what he called his unfortunate remarks from earlier in today. Burns said, quote, Oates and I have talked about it. We've addressed it. He's remorseful for that. He added that until the comments on Tuesday that he'd been pleased with Nate's empathy, end quote. All right. So that's what everybody is saying. There's one other thing here. I was just looking it up. From the University of Alabama Division of Finance and Operations, Dangerous Weapons and Firearms Policy, effective date January 1, 2023. And so I just reading this under the heading of policy. Except as otherwise stated in this policy, the university prohibits the possession, transportation, and use of firearms and other dangerous weapons on campus at any time. This policy applies to all persons on campus, including faculty, staff, students, contractors, patients, residents, and visitors. So, consistent with Alabama law and the campus-wide restriction in this policy, all persons, including concealed carry permittees, or permittees, or is it permittees? I've never said that word before, are strictly prohibited from possessing firearms, one, at facilities that provide inpatient or custodial care of patients with psychiatric, mental, or emotional disorders, and two, at locations where guards and other security features are employed, including, without limitation, athletic events. So... The shooting took place right in Tuscaloosa. Was it technically on the Alabama campus? And does this policy end when you leave the campus? Because if you look at this policy, it says the university prohibits the possession, transportation, and use of firearms on campus at any time. Were the players living on campus? These are questions I don't know the answer to. Were they living on campus? If they were living on campus and they had a gun in their possession and the gun was in the car, whether it was covered up by clothing or not, whether he knew about it or not, they're violating University of Alabama policy as I read this and I understand this. The shooting occurred in Tuscaloosa. It was either on the campus or just on outside the campus. I mean, basically, well, I'm not going to say the University of Alabama campus takes up the entire city of Tuscaloosa. It does not. It takes up a large part of it. But I don't know. How do you work this in to what's going on? Is this not a factor at all? I've, I've heard nobody mention the university's policy against dangerous weapons and firearms. Pat, do you think this policy comes into play here? I'll read it again. 
the university prohibits the possession, transportation, and use of firearms and other dangerous weapons on campus at any time. Wouldn't that seem to come into play here? At least the transportation of the weapon? Wouldn't that seem to come into play? Well, maybe so, but it sounds like there's a few key details there that we're missing. We don't know whether they were ever actually on campus. We don't know if this, where this took place was technically on campus. We don't know if they live on campus. And also, I could be wrong here. I'm not a, I'm not an attorney. I don't pretend to be. But if there's a passenger in the car who has a weapon and the driver is unaware of it, I guess, yeah, the weapon would still be in that possession, but, um, and again, I could be wrong, but I would think that that would fall onto the person carrying the firearm more than the person driving the car, but I could be complete, I could be completely wrong there, but it sounds like that's the way the attorney is trying to spin it is that his client was completely oblivious and unaware that any of this, any of this was happening. And that goes back to Nate Oates's statement, which I think was kind of universally condemned yesterday that he was just in the wrong quote, wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Well, apparently the officials at Alabama, the AD and others, the president and the basketball coach, they all believe that Brandon Miller is just a um, innocent bystander. Almost. Well, right? I don't want to say innocent bystander, but I was just I was going to say sort of a circumstantial person sure. okay. here. You know, he just he didn't know something was going down. And but think about this. Um I mean, if the guy texts him to bring him the gun, okay, whether or not he was already on the way to the scene to pick him up, he got the text message on his way to the scene, right? That sure makes it sound like he knew there was a weapon. Yes. Yeah. So how do you explain that away? I don't know how, because, yeah, the quote that they said was what? The heat is in the hat, and there's one in the head, which... According, again, this is all to Detective Culpepper, who gave this testimony yesterday in court under oath, I would presume. So that does carry some weight. Um, but there's always two sides to every story. But I'll tell you, Phil, what's really sticking out to me is the statement in the attorney statement today where he said, quote, Brandon did not block the Jeep driven by Mr. Johnson. In fact, Brandon had already been parked on Grace Street when the Jeep pulled up behind him. The street was never blocked by Brandon's vehicle. You then skip down a bit, and he and the attorney says, all of the events described above are clearly captured on video. There is no dispute about Brandon's activities during this evening. But rewind to yesterday, and I mentioned again that this was testimony in some kind of legal setting. I would presume was then under oath. Maybe I shouldn't assume that, but it certainly reads that way. This detective makes it very clear that not only was there surveillance footage from a bar across the street, but also from Brandon Miller's vehicle. And he made it sound yesterday was very matter of fact with his statement that the surveillance clearly showed Brandon Miller purposely blocking in the Jeep. So those are two very, very conflicting statements. One from the police, one from the attorney who's lying. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, this is, um, I don't know. This is, like I said last night when I came on board with the story as it was breaking and unfolding, I was confused by Nate Oates and the things that he said. He seemed very he seemed very detached from the fact that there was a murder involved here. And I just don't understand how as a university 
you have a player and he's with two other people associated with them. Now, look, I'm all for being fair. And if somebody has absolutely no involvement in something, they shouldn't face a punishment and they should be allowed to continue whatever they're doing, whether it's, you know, coaching or playing, whatever the case may be. So often we see people and we see organizations jump so quickly. Michael Irvin, for example, what happened there with him at the Marriott in a less than one minute conversation with a woman that led the NFL network to boot him from the Super Bowl coverage. And in turn, he's turned around and filed a $100 million lawsuit against Marriott and the, I guess the woman involved here, you know, we jump so quickly to conclusions before all the facts are known. Now, are we jumping? Are we jumping too quickly here with Brandon Miller in this case? I mean, certainly the people at the University of Alabama think people are jumping too quickly because they're continuing to let him play. And this is coming from the very top of the mountain at Alabama. This is coming from the president through the AD and down to the basketball coach. But there's just something to me there's just something to me that smells here. Okay, first of all, the two people he was hanging out with, one was a teammate at the time, who of course has now obviously been booted and is now dealing with murder charges. But the two cats he was dealing with at the time, and the fact that if he was on his way, okay, if he was on his way, and he gets the message, and he doesn't turn around to go back to get the gun because the guy said, bring my gun. So he had to know the gun was in the car, right? Otherwise, he would have turned around to go back to get the gun. Logically thinking, right? Sounds would you reasonable. agree with that? I would. I mean, if you're driving someplace and a guy says, oh, I left my phone, would you bring my phone? Well, if you knew the phone was back where you were, you'd turn around and go get it for him and bring it, right? My point is he must have known the gun was in the car. Otherwise, he would have turned around to go back to get it. Unless he was thinking, I'm not going, I'm not bringing a gun. I don't know where his gun is. I don't know. I'm not bringing him a gun. I'm just going to go pick him up. You see what I'm saying? I do. And, and I, I agree with you in large part with what you're saying. And to back up a second, I'm with you. I'm a big proponent. Absolutely would live and die by the statement that we are an innocent until proven guilty society here in America. Love that. And I, and as of right now, there is nothing that we can point to showing this young man as being being guilty. He may be, however you want to, to, to depict his involvement here, he is not currently guilty of any crime. But it just seems like to me, especially in a society that we live in today, with social media the way it is, the way everything happens so, so quickly, and the public has such a loud and powerful voice that influences institutions, teams, whatever, to make decisions, you would think there would be an overabundance of caution being used here by Alabama. I don't mean this offensively towards towards the Gamecock basketball team, but in particular against a team that's struggling. Why put your player in, in front of that crowd? Why put them, why bring him to South Carolina parade him out in front of a hostile environment, which hopefully is a hostile environment tonight. Personally, I hope the Gamecock faithful make his night a living hell. I hope every time he touches the ball, there's there's boos, there's jeers, whatever. Uh, especially against a team you're not favored to beat. Anything you can take to maybe throw Alabama off their game. 
But it just seems like it would have been a very easy decision and maybe a better decision, in my opinion, for Alabama to have left Brandon Miller in Alabama and kind of let this dust settle a little bit before throwing him out to the Wolves on the court. Yeah, couldn't have agreed more on that. Um, But you don't know what other factors come into play here, too. I mean, here's a guy that's probably making a bunch of money NIL-wise, and the people who are paying him the NIL money from the outside, are they putting pressure on – on the the administrators to you know let our guy play does that come into play i mean i'm i'm reaching here i know but i'm just thinking about things that could happen don't think it couldn't happen power brokers use their power when they want to use their power and money is power the game's on espn too just saying yeah the nationally televised game so i'm not expecting a big crowd tonight you know if they have if they have five thousand actual attendance I'll be surprised. You know, it's a nine o'clock game. Your 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 team's not going well. It's probably going to be an absolute beatdown. And I watch the Gamecocks surprise us and play them to the wire. Yeah. But I'm not expecting a big crowd. But um, you know, it's not like the Duke crazies where there's going to be a bunch of signs and a bunch of uh, chants uh, being thrown his way related to this. So. And, and that's what I was hinting at, Corn. And I want to I want to back up a second and make it abundantly clear. Mm-hmm. I certainly am not condoning or wanting anybody to do anything above jeering somebody. I don't want anybody to go out there and throw anything on the court or do anything that's going to get you tossed oh, out. Of course but not. I hope no. the student section does. You know daggum well if this game was up at Duke and Cameron, those Cameron crazies would have been out there since 8 a.m. this morning practicing chants of every time Brandon Miller touches the ball. So I just hope that Gamecock students out there and fans alone show up. And we, we've used the phrase or thought about over the years, when something bad happens – a lot of teams point to being during the game, being on the court, being on the field as kind of their happy place, their escape from whatever drama is happening off the field, off the court. Well, I can't help but wonder if the same sentiment is going on with Alabama. This is their way for a couple hours for these players to kind of put that aside. Well, the one way you can change that and alter that as a fan base is going out there and every time they touch the ball, you boo. Every You make their life a living hell from the – fans perspective with what you're able to do with your mouth booing from the sideline and i really hope gamecock fans show up tonight and do just that well you got to believe it's been a distraction to the alabama basketball team for sure no question you know how their focus is coming into this game we'll we'll find out you know in in a in about uh in about two hours okay we got to go to a break and uh, after the break uh, we'll take some calls 888-898-2525 carrie tharp at 705 tonight wasn't with us last night, had a conflict with a meeting. He'll be with us tonight, 7.05. SC Wild, Major Billy Downer, he joins us at 7.35. Got a special guest with him as we talk boating and boating safety here in South Carolina. Perfect time of the year to discuss that, and we'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Billy Downer from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Are you looking for a safe place to shoot your rifle or handgun? Did you know that the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources operates four manned ranges across the state in Pickens County, Spartanburg County, Richland County, and Charleston County? For more information on our public ranges, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash shooting. 
Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. Hi, this is Major Billy Downer, and coming up tonight at 7.30, it's another edition of SC Wild from the Department of Natural Resources on the Sports Talk Media Network. Hope, life, and the great Palmetto. What do these things have in common? Scholarship dollars. The SC Hope, the life, and the Palmetto Fellow Scholarships are funded by the lottery players of this great state. And after 20 years, you've invested over $7 billion in education. Seven billion dollars. Impressive. The South Carolina Education Lottery. When you play, we all win. All right, USC has gone final. It's 12 nothing. Gamecocks defeat Queens. James Hicks gets the win, goes to 2-0. and Gamecocks had 11 hits, and they only allow two hits. So offense, pitching, and um, no errors. So good defense, good performance all the way around. Hicks, Becker, Williamson, and Eskew combined on a two-hitter. They struck out eight. They did walk six through a couple of wild pitches. But the Gamecocks win big once again, 12-0 over Queens. Let's go to Andy in Columbia. Phone call here as we go to the top of the hour. Andy, welcome into Sports Talk. How are you? Hey, Corn. Hey. There's two things I want you to get tonight from the game. I don't care about the score. I don't care about any of that. Don't say anything to anybody that you talk to from Alabama about the gun policy at the university. Ask them two things. Does Brandon Miller live on campus? And if he was coming from his dorm when he was going to that um, to the bar. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you find out yes and yes, then we know he broke policy. Is that, that would be my understanding from what I read of the yeah. policy. That's why I said, don't tell them anything about the policy that you know the policy because then they'll probably try to hide it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll see try what I can find, find out. out. Those two things. Mm-hmm. We'll see what we can find out. That could help what we're talking about. Yep. That would good, clarify good some things. On you. Good luck on that. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you, Mr. Corn. Thank you. I should walk around with a camera on my shoulder like uh, Mike Wallace used to do. Talking to my camera, talking to my microphone. I will talk to some of the media folks over there at uh, Alabama and see what, see what they know. Um, I, I got to believe that the Alabama media, assuming that Nate Oates comes into the interview room after the game, I would believe that these media guys from Alabama, and I'm sure they'll have a nice – uh, a number of writers there, since they're the number two team in the country, they're going to have those questions to ask. So uh, we'll see what they do. I understand there's a bunch of pro scouts going to be there too to look at Miller and to look at uh, Jackson, I would presume, um, and, and maybe some others. So be a lot of pro scouts there taking that all in. Um, but, Phil, uh, sorry. Yeah, we'll, go ahead. Do you think we will get to see Brandon Miller and Gigi Jackson? Do you think the two of them will be – defending each other all night? Because I would love to see that matchup. 
Um, you know, I, I would Miller venture because Jackson's going to play out on the perimeter. Uh, is Miller going to slip out there? or Is he going to play more? Averaging about eight rebounds a game, I, I get the feeling he plays more closer to the basket defensively, wouldn't you think? Than than venturing outside because that's where Jackson's going to live. He's going to live on the, on the three point line out there. So yeah, that may be the case. I I, I follow Alabama, but probably obviously not as closely as we do South Carolina and Clemson. But they do have Noah Clowney, who's also a big player for them underneath. He's a little bit taller than Miller. So I do wonder if maybe he spends a little bit more time. I believe Brandon Miller does have a, a decent game away from the basket, but maybe mm-hmm. not quite to the perimeter, maybe like a 10 to 15-foot range. Well, let me see what he does. Pull up his numbers here real quick, see what he does from from outside. And if he ventures out there very much, uh, let's see. He's a 43% three-point shooter on the season. Yeah, how many shots? Uh, let's see here. Looks like he averages seven a game. He has shot 100. He's 82 of 191 on the season. That's pretty daggum good. Yeah, that is good. So he is out there. He's 6'9", 200. And um, so he might match up. That You might see a head-to-head matchup with them, which would be intriguing, right? The two most highly regarded players on the floor from an NBA standpoint matching up against one another. That's probably one of the reasons so many uh, scouts are supposed to be in attendance tonight. See two of these guys going head to head. You, you know, where else can you see that in the regular season? Uh, is something you would see probably at the NBA Combine up in Chicago when it when that happens in the summer. Absolutely, and it's giving me flashbacks to that spectacular game in December we saw between the Gamecocks and Eastern Michigan. And maybe I shouldn't say spectacular game, but we yeah. got to see a spectacular matchup between Imani Bates and Gigi Jackson. The two of them going back and forth all night was a thing of beauty. Yeah, Bates had a big game, and I think Jackson responded pretty well that night, but. Uh, Bates proved his worth against the Gamecocks that night, even though the Gamecocks won. Uh, let's see. They won by 10, 74-64. Yeah, Bates had a cool 36, along with six rebounds. Jackson had 24 and nine rebounds. But nobody saw it. They were all at the bowl game. <laughs> we'll be back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Okay, we're back with you, Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network, here on this Wednesday night. Good to have you with us, Phil Kornblut, Pat Daniel from our studios here in downtown Columbia. Chris Bergen on the call of Coastal Carolina and Georgia Southern tonight. So if you just joined us, been talking a lot about Brandon Miller, that situation with Alabama. The bottom line is he'll be playing, he'll be in uniform, he'll be starting for Alabama tonight against South Carolina. From a basketball standpoint, of course, just strictly on the basketball side of things, that's big for Alabama because he's their best player this year and part of what's made them such a good team. Now, the Gamecock baseball team, a winner today, 12-0 that final score over Queens. So the Gamecocks uh, pick up another win. They go to 5-0 and in the season. James Hicks picks up the win to improve to 2-0. and The Gamecocks had uh, just a solo home run today, a single home run by Cassis today. That gives him four homers on the season. And offensively, besides that, uh, Cassis had three hits on the day and two RBIs. He had a double 
and the home run as well. And Petrie had uh, a couple of hits, RBI for the Gamecocks, and Denny had a couple of hits, and he had uh, two doubles, including a bases-loaded double that cleared the bases. He finished with five RBIs on the day. Hicks on the mound went five innings, two hits, walked two, and struck out five in picking up the win. Now the Gamecocks will have tomorrow off, and they'll play host to the University of Pennsylvania from the Ivy League for a weekend series beginning on Friday. Other scores. Presbyterian beat Western Carolina 3-0. Louisville over Xavier 12-8. Upstate beats North Florida 9-4. Upstate is 4-0. Alabama shuts out Tennessee Martin 10-0 in seven innings. Liberty leading Duke top of the ninth 8-6. North Carolina beat Longwood 10-0. It's NC State in the bottom of the ninth leading Coastal 16-4. Mississippi State in the top of the ninth, leading ULM 14-3. Tennessee over Alabama A&M 23-1. Vanderbilt over UAB 4-1, bottom of the fifth. Miami leads Indiana State 6-1, top of the fourth. And Florida on top of South Florida 3-2 in the bottom of the fourth. And you, too, can drive into Darlington County. Well, you can do that pretty much any time of the day and night that you want to, but you can drive into Darlington County. You can drive into the Darlington Raceway, and you can turn some laps on the Darlington Raceway. Coming up, we'll let Kerry Tharp tell you more about that as El Presidente of Darlington Raceway joins us here on Sports Talk. He is Kerry Tharp, now back from Daytona from the 500. Welcome, sir. Got to believe NASCAR officials very pleased with the weekend. I saw the television ratings over 8 million viewers, which sounds like a pretty strong number this day and age for a broadcast. It really is, Phil. And uh, what a crowd they had down there. Uh, All the excitement that I've ever seen at a NASCAR event, uh, maybe more than I've seen, to be honest with you. The crowds were good for all the races. Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday was just packed to the gills. And you're right, the TV number was very, very impressive uh, for for the Daytona 500. And that's a great start. Uh, sets the tone for the rest of the season. And uh, really, really a, a good way, I think, to, to start off the sports 75th uh, uh, anniversary season. What'd you think of the racing? Uh, of course, at Daytona, it's more of the same packed racing. You're going to have a lot of wrecks. At the end, it's a dart to the finish line, unfortunately. We couldn't have a race to the checkers because the right. the yellow came out. But what did you think of the quality of the racing overall? Well, I thought it was pretty good, actually. Uh, you know, you saw some different people up there leading the race. Um, and, you know, you, you saw uh, some teams that maybe hadn't fared so well uh, last year up there. I thought uh, – RFK, which is Rouse, Fenway, Keselowski, was very, very strong. Excuse me, Brad Keselowski and and Chris Buescher had a really, really good run. And, you know, but Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 
that was his uh, third career victory. Uh, but his first Daytona 500, he'd gone 199 races without a win. Mm. And um, he's very, very good at, at, at those types of races, uh, racetracks. But I, I thought all in all it was it was good. And, you know, I was just, you know, you hate it that the race ends under caution, but those are the rules. I think they had two attempts at it. And then, you know, they did take the white flag. And once you take the, take the white flag and, and over time and the caution comes out, the race is, is, is declared uh, over. So uh, a lot of that is, is for a safety uh, situation, Phil. I mean, if they kept just going on and on and on, there, there'd be so many wrecks out there, I think, that it might not be uh, something that they would want to do. But, you know, all in all, I thought the, I thought the racing was, uh, was really pretty good. Yeah, yeah, talking to Kerry Tharp, president of uh, Darlington Raceway after the Daytona 500, and now – the scene moves out west for a little while. We say goodbye to everybody as they go through that western swing, and they're going to be at Auto Club Speedway. And this is the final race at this particular track, correct? It is. It's the final race at the two-mile facility. There are plans for the facility, I think, to be transformed into a short track, hmm. uh, which I think would be very, very exciting uh, uh, for the fans out there. And I don't know if the timetable has actually been been established on when that's going to happen, but uh, I do know that there have been pretty serious discussions uh, surrounding that that and and the potential for that to happen. But yeah, yeah, this would be the the final race I think on at the track as as we as we see it now, and really that track is 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 lended itself to some pretty good racing the last five or six years. There was a time when you know the racing out there wasn't so good they went from a 500 mile race to a 400 mile race uh, several years ago and i think that made it a better race and the track surface has aged a good bit so uh, you know i i think you're going to see a pretty good race out there this weekend what will happen on the schedule with this particular race coming off in 2024 do you know yet what the plan is well no i don't and, and that's a great question uh you know i'm sure that there'll be a um, possibly a new venue inserted in there. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that schedule uh, probably won't be even announced until later this summer. But, uh, yeah, with, with that with that particular uh, race coming off the schedule in, in 2024, there will have to be a, uh, you know, a, a, a new venue put in there, either a new venue put in there or another venue maybe getting another race date or something. So that remains to be seen. But I know NASCAR – has been very, very bold and very, very, uh, I think, innovative is the right word, uh, over the last three or four years with some of their scheduling. And, you know, we've seen it, whether you go into Bristol and race in dirt, you're going back to North Wilkesburg for the all-star race. You've been at the L.A. Coliseum twice for a non-points race. Uh, you're going to race the streets of Chicago this year. So I would say, uh, you know, I wouldn't think anything's off the table. No. Uh, creative minds at work, and we'll see what they come up with. I, I'm, I love Absolutely. what they've done with the schedule. I think Chicago is just going to be an absolute blast, and some of the other new new spots going back to North Wilkesboro. How's that coming along? What's what's the status of the track? Where are they in preparation? Right. Well, everything I see, uh, you know, is is they're they're full speed ahead. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's uh, uh, a lot of work that needs to be done up there, but I know a lot of the people that are up there doing the work, and, and, and they're some of the best in the business. And so, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, 
each day is is important for them uh, as they transform that track and, and, and get it to where it needs to be for their event. But uh, I'm sure they'll get there, and, and uh, I think our fans are going to be in for a treat because <clears throat> our race weekend is, is May 12th through 14th. Uh, which is the throwback weekend, and we'll have uh, the top 75 greatest drivers uh, will be honored at our race. And then you fast forward the next week and you go back to, to North Wilkesboro. So you talk about a couple of weeks there where you kind of step back in the, in the history books and, and take a walk down memory lane. And that's exactly what uh, race fans will be able to do in back-to-back weekends at Darlington and then North Wilkesboro. And what also was kind of neat too, KT, except for the race in Kansas, to begin May, the entire month of May is in the Carolinas, Darlington, North yeah, Wilkesboro, and is, Charlotte. Because, so that's kind of neat. Yeah, it is because, you know, once you come to Darlington, you'll go to North Wilkesboro, and then you'll finish up there with the uh, Coca-Cola 600. So, you know, race fans in this region will certainly get their fill of NASCAR uh, over about a three-week period. Okay. Um, I mentioned folks can go to Darlington County, of course, obey yeah. all posted speed limits, and get on the track. You got uh, that coming up yeah. here soon where folks can get on the track and uh, not we only do. have some fun on the track but make a contribution to uh, great charity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it's a week from Saturday, excuse me, March the 4th, We'll have our track laps for charity from 11 to two, $20 uh, gives you three laps around uh, the track too tough to tame. And that uh, those proceeds go right to Darlington shares, which is the Darlington uh, 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 outreach program for the NASCAR foundation. And all of that money will be, we uh, use for charitable purposes. And really even the, the day begins earlier than that, because at nine o'clock, we're going to have a garage sale. Hmm. Uh, we're going to have a, yeah. We're inviting fans to come out to the Kale Yarbrough garage, set up their tables, and, and sell their wares. So from 9 to 2 that day, uh, we'll have a garage sale in a bona fide garage. And so that'll be exciting, I think, for fans, too. Wow. Well, you know what? I've got some old 5 by 8 glossies of me that uh, I could take and sell <laughs> and set up and some other posters and things like that. That's a great idea. I might, uh, I might take you up on that. I do you know, want folks to know that I've driven on the track a couple of times yeah. and I may be back mm-hmm. but you know I don't come okay. off I don't come off until I get the black flag okay you you know, I know. you're like Richard Petty a few years ago exactly what, <laughs> what did he do well he was he was our honorary pace car driver <clears throat> excuse me about 4 or 5 years ago and driving in the 67 I think Plymouth that he actually won in Darlington mm-hmm. he was supposed to come off the track after two or three laps and it was the fourth lap. He was still out there, and they were calling him from the tower to get to get to get off the track. Oh! And he claims he couldn't hear him in the radio, and so they had to black flag. That is funny. I didn't realize that happened. Mm-hmm. Huh? That I didn't realize that happened. Oh yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty comical at the time. Wow. Now let me ask you about the comments that he made at Daytona about mm-hmm. the takeover of his team, the merging, quote unquote. Yeah with Jimmy Johnson right. to where basically it's his name is gone. The petty name is gone. And apparently all of his authority is gone. Yeah, I kind of saw that. I, I didn't really de- uh, uh, dive into it a little bit. I think I read a comment where he said that uh, he only, uh, 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 you know, agreed with like 50% of the, of the uh, decisions that were being made. Am I, am I correct in saying something like that? Yeah. I'm somewhere in that neighborhood. I I, yeah. I think I did see that, but I didn't really read into the, into the entire story, but 
you know, Richard's still very, very visible, very, very much part of that race team. I mean, I saw him at Daytona. He was, uh, you know, perched up on top of the hauler up there with Dale Inman, uh, his trusted crew chief. So, you know, as things change, uh, some things change, but I, I know he's still uh, a big part of that race team. And certainly when you, when you think of, of, uh, of uh, you know, Legacy Motor Club, and I know it's got a different name, but when you think of legacy in our sport, the first person I think of is, is Richard Petty. Well, I'll tell you what. What is he, 85 years old? He's pretty amazing. Yes, he is. Uh, he is definitely amazing. He's still out in the public a lot. Uh, man, I think he was on a float in the uh, Rose Bowl this past year <laughs> uh, out in California. So, I mean, the guy is amazing. I, I, I dare say that no one on the on the planet has signed more autographs than that guy has. No. And, uh, you know, he's always available to the fans. And, and uh, you know, you see him, he's got that trademark uh, cowboy hat and, and, and sunglasses. And so... I think he's probably one of the more iconic figures in all the sports. I agree. Never turned down an autograph, never turned down an no. interview. He did more no, not at all. to promote NASCAR than all you promoters combined. I think he did more back in the 60s and 70s to push it forward. So he deserves every bit of credit that uh, comes his way. Absolutely. One last Absolutely. thing, we'll let you go. Let folks know that there are a few tickets still remaining for, yeah. uh, for May, yeah. and you want to get those tickets out there. Well, we really do, Phil. We want to have a fantastic crowd for the throwback weekend. As I said, fans need to realize that the top 75 greatest drivers, those living, will be honored and recognized at Darlington. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and many of those drivers uh, will be doing fan Q&As, autograph sessions, things like that. And so fans need to get to our website, darlingtonraceway.com, get tickets, um, you know, infield camping is, is getting close to being sold out. Uh, <clears throat> we've got all three national series there. The trucks on Friday, the Xfinity on Saturday afternoon, and then the Goodyear 400 on uh, Sunday afternoon on Mother's Day. Yeah, love it. I know Chris Bergen loves the 400 miles. That thing goes by qu- uh, quickly. Oh, it's, it is. It is obviously 100 miles shorter than the cookout Southern 500, and it is a it is a, a quicker race, and I think it's a great race. I thought last year's race with Joey Logano, uh, <clears throat> kind of moving William Byron out of the way on the last lap, was fantastic. We look forward to it. Of course, we got many more weeks to talk about it leading up, and we'll talk to you mm-hmm. if all goes as planned next Tuesday. Sounds good, Phil. Thank you very much. Thank you, KT. Great having you on board with us. All right, Kerry Tharp. As we go to break, Clemson and Syracuse twenty five sixteen Tigers at the uh, media timeout there, and uh, Clemson shooting 50%, Syracuse shooting 55%. Tigers are um, 6 of 14 from 3. That's not a bad start. And Hunter Tyson with the hot hand, he's got 14 points. He's got 4 of 5 from 3. He's got 2 rebounds, so he's shooting it well, and he's the only Tiger with a bunch of points. Chase Hunter's got 6 points, but also 4 assists so far. Clemson up 25-16. Score a touchdown with Founders Federal Credit Union. With services like Founders Online and the Founders app, you'll enjoy all the perks of a big bank with local personalized service. Not a member? Joining Founders Federal Credit Union is easy. Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. 
Relax with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Hi, this is Major Billy Downer, and coming up tonight at 7.30, it's another edition of SC Wild from the Department of Natural Resources on the Sports Talk Media Network. George Bryant for Tsunami Bar Sports, our inventor, David Abernathy, has always said Tsunami Bar technology allows us to take the training to the grass. Now I know through my sport of golf that natural agility can be converted to athletic ability. And why is this, Tsunami Robbie? Transferring the training to the grass. This may be the most undervalued characteristic of the Tsunami Flexible Bar technology. The Tsunami Bar action loads and unloads at the concentric and eccentric transition points. This is what we call reversal forces. And the Tsunami Bar is the only bar and training device that I know of that can train these reversal forces adequately at speed. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device, whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. Life. It has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. To the recruiting report we go here on this Wednesday night edition of Sports Talk. And our recruiting report is brought to you by our good friends over at Seawells. Daily luncheon buffet, of course, every day, Monday through Friday. Friday will be a roast beef Friday. So just put on your calendar, if you haven't already, RBF. RBF. you got a lot of things out there that are acronyms. you got IBM. you got CIA. you got FBI. you got NIL. Now you got to have RBF as a key acronym, Roast Beef Friday at Seawells. 11 to 2. It's only $13. Don't miss it. And for the best job ever in the catering world, you need something catered, you need the best in the business, you need it done right, you need it done at a very good price that fits your budget, the Seawells folks will take care of you. 803-771-7385 is the phone number. SeawellsCateringSC.com is the website. They'll come to you or host at their venue, 1125 Rosewood Drive. That is Seawells. So recruiting tonight, USC's new OC, Dowell Loggins, working on players back in Arkansas that he knows. One he recently offered, running back Braylon Russell, 6'1", 225. He's out of Benton, Arkansas. And for those of you who are watching us, well, I was going to have some video of him running, but we're not going to have that tonight because of a technical error. I hate when that happens. So we'll just go ahead and keep talking about him. He's a running back with size and power. Loggins knew him in Arkansas. He originally committed to Arkansas, 
in November of 2021, but he decommitted in October of 2022. Loggins continued to recruit him then, and that relationship's going to help some with the Gamecocks because they have a good relationship, and he likes Loggins. Doesn't know all that much about South Carolina. He does know Spencer Rattler is there, and he does know they beat Tennessee. He does plan to take an official visit with the Gamecocks with that date to be determined either in June or July. He also wants to visit Tennessee and Arkansas officially, not sure about the other ones. Last season, he rushed for 1,900 yards, 27 touchdowns. He's named a top 10 of USC, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kansas, Purdue, Ole Miss, Cincinnati, Kansas State, Baylor, and Texas A&M. He did not go to any January junior days. He did visit Arkansas for a game last season. He's also been to Ole Miss. Clemson continues to go hard after receiver Braylon Staley of Aiken, who's been talking to Garrett Riley and to Tyler Grisham a lot. He said they're telling him he's their guy. They want him. And he said they've told him they're only taking one out of his class, and they want that to be him. He also got a text from Dabo Sweeney on Tuesday, and he was telling him that there's some good things going on in Death Valley. He wants him to be a part of it. Of course, he has great speed. He's an athlete, has a track standout as well. And along with Clemson, he's also picked up offers from Tennessee, Northwestern, Miami, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, NC State, Alabama, Duke, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech, and others. He said going off the amount of contact he has, probably Tennessee is making the most contact with him. He talks to them every day. And others are in touch as well, but he just thinks Tennessee has been hitting him up more than anybody else. As for Riley and what Riley has told him he's going to do with the offense, Staley said, quote, he basically said they're going to air it out. They want to get their receivers the ball. That's really what they want to do. They want to have balance, but they want to have more of an air raid type offense. Okay, so we'll see what happens with that. So Staley Plans to take an official visit to Clemson that first weekend in June, which looks like the big weekend for the Tigers in June for official visits. And he wants to set other officials with North Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee. All right. Dillon offensive tackle Josiah Thompson has scheduled an official visit to Alabama for June 9th, according to his coach, Kelvin Roller. And he's also going to visit South Carolina March 14th to watch a spring practice. Defensive tackle Camarion Franklin plans a visit to USC on March 17th. That's one of several unofficial visits he plans for March. Texas A&M, Miami, Florida State, Ohio State, Oregon, others. USC target cornerback Braden Lee was offered by Miami. Greenville High offensive tackle Julius Tate was offered by the University of Pennsylvania. And Clemson has offered offensive tackle Jaquan McCrory from Pinson, Alabama, He is 6'8", 345 pounds. He brings a shadow with him, 6'8", 345. That's recruiting here on Sports Talk. Coming up next after the break, a great edition of SC Wild with Major Billy Downer. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. That's coming up next. Now on Sports Talk, it's SC Wild with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer is here to take your questions about the great outdoors in South Carolina. Give him a call at 888-898-2525. It's SC Wild from DNR on the Sports Talk Radio Network. Wednesday night here on Sports Talk. 
And it's time to welcome back to the program for another edition of Essie Wild from the Department of Natural Resources. Major Billy Downer is joining us, and he's got a couple of special guests coming his way as they discuss a very important topic, a very important law that's made its way through the legislature. So, Major, welcome in, sir. It's great to have you with us once again. I'll let you take it from here. Always good to be here, Phil. Um, absolutely. Uh, what a great week it's been weather-wise, just getting really um, really warm and uh, looking forward to you know, <laughs> It makes us think about what we're going to talk about tonight. When it gets warm like this, it makes you want to get out in the boat. Mm. Um, and I've had a friend we've been talking about going on the boat this weekend. So uh, certainly, you know, warm weather brings with it the interest of boating again. Uh, and we have a boating bill going through the legislature right now involving boating safety. We want to talk about that tonight um, and bring on a, a couple of guests that uh, this is very near and dear to their heart. Uh, but uh, basically, we have a boating safety bill going through right now uh, that would change the way boating safety is determined uh, as far as what is required in our state. doesn't change it for folks that are my age or, or even uh, really anybody that's it's 16 or older right now, it, it does change the future as we see boating. But um, before we get into that, let me, let's welcome in Morgan Kaiser and her mom uh, to the show tonight. I know they're waiting on us, so uh, let me know when she's on. So, Sean, you on here too? Yeah, I'm on here. All right. Thanks for being on tonight. Um, we're going to talk about the boating bill. Uh, Morgan, I'll let you kind of lead off a little bit. Um, we're a state that has 360,000 boats registered. That number's gone up and down over the years, and uh, with just our new accounting system now, it's over 360,000, and that's an increase of over 20,000 just from last year alone. I think we're still seeing some of the effects of COVID, post-COVID, where folks are wanting to go out and buy a boat and get outdoors. And that doesn't include the thousands of canoes, kayaks, and paddle boards that are used on our bodies of water across the state that aren't registered. So that's just registered boats. Um, a couple more facts. You know, last year we had 201 boating accidents, and of those 201, 21 were fatalities. Um, just a couple facts there. You know, when you talk about the three primary causes of accidents, we're looking at failure to maintain proper lookout leads the way, operator inattention, and then operator inexperience. Um, so with that said, Morgan, go ahead. Let's just talk about the Senate bill. Let's talk about that for a minute. I'll let you introduce it. Um, yeah, we're trying to get S96 passed through the House right now. It went through Senate with a vote of 43 to nobody opposing it, and now it's in the Judiciary Committee. And back to your statistics, I think if I did my math correctly, um, when I was looking at the boat crashes from the past two years, there's when there are crashes, um, 10% of the, are, the crashes leads are the, I'm so sorry, I'm just, about 10% of those crashes result, about 10% of those crashes result in a death, and 36% of those crashes result in injury. Absolutely. Solid numbers, I think. Yeah. So, by averages, that's correct, and that is something that your family, unfortunately, knows all too well. Um, Morgan, I want you to tell a, a lot of people are familiar with your story, but since we've got you back on tonight, if you take a brief moment, let's talk about um, 
how your family's been impacted by boating um, tragedy in this state. Yeah, um, three years ago, I was on the boat with my parents, and we were run over by another boat, and my father was killed in front of me, um, and my mother lost her leg. I had to take my dress off and tie it around her leg as a tourniquet so she wouldn't bleed out. And I tried to save my father, but I couldn't because boats are, they cause horrible damage to bodies. It's terrible. We really need this bill passed. So let's talk about what the S-97 actually is. What does it do um, as far as what does it change in our boating laws? I'll let you kind of tell it from, a, from your perspective, and I'll weigh in. So S-96, it's a slow-burning bill, and it would require that anybody born on or after July 1st, 2007, has to have boating safety education, which I think is a common-sense bill. Um, people are out there on the waterways. We don't have stop signs on the waterways. We don't have anything that kind of tells you what you're doing. So having this education beforehand is a good idea. You have all of those things on the roadways with cars, so you can kind of drive based on what you see, you know, red lights, green lights, stop signs. But on the waterways, you don't have that. And boats are giant vessels with propellers that slice through bodies, and it's just devastating. Not to mention drowning. You know, if you fly out of a boat, if you fly out of a car, you could still breathe oxygen. I mean, you're hurt and you get rescued and it's terrible, but if you fly out of a boat, you're going to drown. Absolutely. So the main point of this bill for folks that may not understand is, you know, back in 2000, we passed the Voting Safety Act, which made it required anyone under the age of 16 who wanted to operate a vessel of 50 horsepower or greater. Um, it made it where they had uh, to have some type of boater education uh, approved by our department before they could operate a vessel. So what this bill does is now change it. It would change it to where anyone born after June 30th, 2007, which basically they weren't 16 when this bill passes in July 1, but became effect, they would have to take voter education from here on out. It doesn't change somebody at age 20. It doesn't change anybody at age 30, 40, 50, 60. It doesn't change what they have to have. But what it does do is over time, the years to come, we believe it would make our boating uh, population much safer because they'd be more knowledgeable and have at least a baseline, which is what Morgan's talking about, a baseline of boating safety knowledge. The rules of the road. Phil, you and I have talked about a lot on the show mm -hmm. that the water doesn't have, like she said, it doesn't have a yellow and white line. We don't have any of that. It's just open water. Everybody takes off. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people, as you saw, uh, talk about the three primary cause of accidents. You know, there's so many people in the water. Failure to maintain a proper lookout can be devastating. That means you're not paying attention to what's going on when you're in charge of that vessel. The second thing being operator inattention. Again, it's kind of related, but it just means, you know, you get lulled. We talk about the lake effect. When folks are out there, it's hot, engine noise, all those things. You hear that engine noise in the background, the hot, the sun, and those things affect you, and it kind of dulls your senses. And and then you get, you know, you start talking to somebody to the left of you in the boat or to the right of you in the boat. You're not paying attention to what's out in front of you. 
And when there's so many boats that we have on the water, like on Lake Murray, that can be a tragedy waiting to happen because, you know, one boat goes in front of you, you don't see it, and you hit them, there's an accident. And then the last one's operator inexperience is one of our top three primary causes. I can tell you as an officer, when I first began 25 years ago, I can't tell you the number of people I stopped in a boat. And in fact, one time, I've told the story over and over, I went to stop a boat just to talk to them, you know, to check safety equipment. And I pulled up beside them, and they were this older couple, and they were looking at me. They smiled, said, how you doing? I said, fine. I said, can you please put your boat um, in neutral for a minute so I can check your safety equipment? And the man looked at me and said, how do I do that? No. <laughs> I mean, how do I do that? He didn't even know how to slow the boat down, but to put it in neutral. But, you know, uh, and there's nothing wrong with boating. We want pe- we, we love people to go out in the water and enjoy it, but you need to have some some basic knowledge of boating safety. You know, when we drive a car on the road, you know that you've got to go take driver education or you've got to take a test uh, to be able to drive on the road. Um, This isn't going to be like a license, but in effect, it does start at least a baseline of knowledge. I keep saying that because I think that's so important because there's so many things in the water people don't think about, at least if they've heard it once. Is that going to always stop everything? No, neither does driver ed, but at least... If you've heard it once, we hope that something sticks. It'll make you think. You'll understand what red, right, returning may mean if you go out there and the coastal waters, which even gets more confusing when you start talking about um, the buoys and um, your, uh, your, big, your big day markers. Those people sometimes don't understand what they are. You just think you have to line them up, and that's not exactly how it works. Um, but, again, just getting a basic knowledge out there for folks so that they would be safer on our waters. It's not a bad idea. It's a good idea. And the Senate's passed it now twice, um, and it's now um, moved into uh, on the House side. So, you know, we have a lot of interest in this bill, and Morgan's been really working really hard to talk to legislators and, um, and her local folks and to also people who are questioning what the bill's about. Uh, so, Morgan, tell us a little bit more about um, what's going on with it right now. I'll let you kind of describe where it is and where you want it to be. Right now it's gone through the Senate and it's in the House Judiciary Committee. So we really need to reach out to the members of the House Judiciary Committee to try to get them to push the bill through their subcommittee and committee and get it to the floor so we can have a hearing. Um, And I also want to mention that, you know, we're one of the last states to do this. All of the states that are around us already have this bill in place and statistics show that as the death counts, when this legislation goes into effect, the death counts go down significantly and then the boat sales go up. And I've even run it past this, like the census for the state at the same time. And the census does rise, but it doesn't rise by as much as the boat sales rise. So this legislation actually helps everybody because everybody's safer and more comfortable in the waterway. But I Absolutely. mean, yeah, the most important thing we can do is reach out to our our House members right now because the Senate has already passed it through. That's an excellent point. And, you know, it's again, it's about, as I've told Morgan over and over again, the most important thing about this bill when you're talking to folks is to explain what it does and then what it doesn't do. Because so many people get upset when they hear you're going to have to do they're going to require something of you. And it doesn't require anything of a person that's 30 or 40 years old, even though 
are accidents. 64% of them involve operators that are 31 years of age or older. But this, the way this bill is written, it will slowly, kind of slowly take effect. As she said, it's a slow move in because it affects people that are not 16. And then from then on, they'll be required to take it if you know, they weren't born before 2007. So that'll, it, it will take years to get a public that is educated, but it is, a, it, it is absolutely positive in that we will get our public educated. Um, and DNR is absolutely committed to this. Um, if this bill passes to making sure that education is available, our classes are available uh, in the classroom. They're free. Mm-hmm. They're also available online. The online classes do cost some money because we have a third-party vendor that runs that, keeps it up to date, keeps it fresh, keeps the graphics good. Um, so you have to pay for that. And, but you can also take that class online. You can take it pay as you go. And, and, and you know, basically take your time. And if you, you know, want to do one chapter tonight, you can stop. You can do half a chapter. Come back and they'll put you back where you stopped. Um, so it's really a, a very um, easy way to take the class that's based on your own time. So there, there are that's free something we're we'll about. Oh, sorry. Yes, there, there are free classes. Yep. There, there are free classes, and there are classes that you can pay for that will actually take you out on the water. There are. So we've got a really good partnership with the Coast Guard Auxiliary, mm-hmm. and they teach family classes, which is really fun. Um, where families go in, mom, dad, sometimes grandma, granddad, son, daughter, and grandchildren go to the class, and their classes are like $30 a family or $20 a family, just depends. Um, but we've partnered with them and really increased our boating class participation across the state. About right now, you know, a total, it's about 5,600 people took classes last year, um, and it's, it's interesting. Over the last few years, it's become kind of, it used to be predominantly online in boating, but now, because boating was online before Hunter Ed, but now, because of what the partnership we're doing with the Coast Guard Auxiliary, and I really appreciate uh, all that they have done to help us spread our class availability out with our instructors as well, it's by half and half now. So it's almost 26, 20, 27, 2800 each. Um, so it's kind of even. Uh, 51%, 49%, so pretty, pretty even, uh, which I'm proud of because that means that we're we're giving people a lots of opportunity to find a course and take it. Um, again, it's a good experience. It's about a six, it's a six to eight hour course. It's not that much of your day, um, but there's a lot, so much you can learn on the basics of boating. Just again to have a little bit of knowledge before you go out there. Um, is so much better than to not have it because, again, on the road, as Morgan's pointed out, good points. When you get on the road, if you didn't know how to drive, you know there's a roadway. You don't drive off the road, you stay on the road. You've got a stoplight, stop signs. Well, none of that's on the water. Um, so when we talk about rules of the road, right-of-way, we talk about those three primary causes of accidents, failure to maintain a proper lookout, how you maintain a proper lookout, Operator inattention, why you should stay attentive when you're out there boating for your sake and the sake of your family and others' families. Operator inexperience is a big one that boater education absolutely addresses because we're giving you knowledge and information to help it where you won't be inexperienced. 
Now, of course, like more said on the water, you need on the water um, experience. It takes time, but that basic book sense and some of those rules of the road are good to know before you get out there. So I can't sell boater education enough. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna quit talking a little bit, Morgan. If your mom wants to say something, I want to give her an opportunity to say something as well. I think she's a little bit nervous to speak on radio. That's okay. Live, so <laughs> That's okay. Me, but I've got you to where you're really that, good at it. So I don't know. I think I choked at the beginning of this, but I mean, I just I want to be here because I support y'all so much, and I just respect y'all so much. And this boating safety bill, it's so important for everybody. Nobody wants different. Nobody wants to see what what I thought. Like no one wants to have that happen. You don't want to lose your loved one. And you still, I mean. And at the same time, we're trying to be reasonable about it. We don't want to take away anybody's fun. Like my dad, he loved the boat. He loved going on the waterways. I would never want to take that from him. But I do want to make it safer for everybody. Not me. I mean, we all want to make it safer for everybody. We just want people to know what they're doing when they go out there so that we don't have to worry so much about our loved ones being safe. And statistics have proven that in other states when this bill goes through, it does save people's lives. It saves drastically. In Alabama, 40 lives at least a year are being saved. And boat sales have gone up because it's safer out there. People feel more safe. They feel more comfortable with their family out there. So it's, it's really good for everybody. And we're all just trying to make a very reasonable approach to this. Nobody's trying to take anybody's liberties. No one's trying to take anybody's freedoms. We're actually trying to give y'all freedoms. We're trying to give everybody the, the freedom of having their loved ones come home because if this bill would have been around before, Maybe my dad would be alive. Maybe my mom would still have her leg, you know, and countless other people who have been lost. So I think this is a bill for everybody, and everybody should support it because, they should, I mean, they should take ownership in it. It's for everyone else. It's not for us, really. I don't well, know and you've done, a, you've done a great job. You've done a great job um, speaking what I know is uh, is on your heart. I want to ask this question one more time before we get off the show tonight. You've kind of answered it, but I want to give you just, I want to specifically ask you this. What would you say to someone that says, why do I need voter education? I would say you need education to be a bartender. I mean, the reason why you need voter's education is because there's, there's no way, when you go out on the water, there's no stop signs. There's, there's just nothing telling you what to do. Nobody really knows what they're doing. Plus, when alcohol gets involved in the sun, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm choking. I don't know how to answer the no. question. The reason you need no, it's okay. is no, you're, you're doing a good job. It will help you. You have to be educated to drive on the road, and cars are big, dangerous things that can kill you. Boats are the same. It's so a horrible, horrible way to. It's just horrible when you get hit by a boat, and if you have the education. You know what you're doing. It just prevents statistics, man. If you know what you're doing out there, it helps. I, I, can you answer the question? I'm choking. We all no, know how much not. I care about you're this bill. No, you're doing really good. So the things that you've said are all true, and I want it to come from you because as a boater, as someone who enjoys the lake, and as someone who has also experienced tragedy, I think your voice and your thoughts are so much more important than mine. I'm an officer. I've been one for 25 years. I've seen plenty of hard things, no doubt about it. But people can use that. So, well, 
he's an officer. He's just going to talk about all the bad stuff he's seen. Well, you're a young person that grew up in this area. You grew up in Columbia on the lake. You loved it. Um, you've had mm-hmm. a lot of fun on the lake, but you've also seen, unfortunately, what happens when things go wrong. And so I think you're, you're way more powerful than you ever give yourself credit. I always tell you that. Um, your voice is so strong, and you have such a passion for this. But one of the things you said that I want to reiterate, though, is talking about the rules of the road on the water versus uh, um, driving a car. When you drive a car and you see something go wrong, everybody knows hit the brake. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's a brake. You got a gas pedal and a brake. On a boat, there's not a brake. Um, you know, people will say, well, wait a minute. They've got, they've got little brakes on the uh, P- PWCs, on jet skis. No, they really don't. Hmm. They've got little fins that come out that slow you down somewhat, but they're not brakes. And you still lose steerage. And that's another thing we talk about in class. When, you know, every boat's different. And if you're using a boat powered by jet propulsion, when that motor cuts off or when you let go of the throttle, you lose steerage. No matter what they've added to it, it still doesn't steer the same. And a lot of our accidents occur with PWCs, jet skis, because people don't understand that. Because as we've all talked about, we're driving that car down the road and a deer runs out. First thing you do is hit the brake. Or if a wall comes up, you're going to do what? You're going to hit the brake. So we're trained to hit the brake. So when we get on the water, what do we do? We try to hit the brake. We let off the gas pedal and we hit the brake. Well, guess what? We let off the gas pedal, but there ain't no brake. <laughs> so that's a problem. And that's one of the things that you, you try to teach in Butter Ed and help people understand. But that's also inherently what makes boating sometimes it's a problem because we're just we're so used to hitting a break and there's just not breaks out there. So not to hammer on that point too much, but it's a great point you made. I want to bring that up again and just talk about it because that is something to think about. And when it comes to jet skis, and they're so popular because they're, 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 they're less expensive than a lot of other boats, so people love to get on them. And you can have a lot of fun on one. You can pull people skiing. You can do all kinds of things on a jet ski. And make them so big now that they go 70 miles an hour. And they will go 70 miles an hour and giddy up and go pretty fast. Um, so it's, you know, you need to know how to operate that. And so those are things that you try to teach in a class, uh, you know, so that folks can, again, have that basic knowledge before they go out there. So, yes, this bill has not passed yet. It's through the Senate. We've had a lot of sponsors. Um uh, Senator Camps has been a big sponsor of this bill, uh, moving it now, and it's passed through the Senate fairly easily once again. It's the second year it's gone through it. And now it's to the House side. So, you know, folks that are in favor of this bill, would certainly encourage you to talk to uh, your local legislator. Tell them how you feel about the bill. If it's something you want, let them know that, uh, because the more support, the more positive an outcome we'll see with this. I know Morgan and her family are very passionate about it. They're going to be down there talking to their legislator and everybody they can get to stop and talk to her for a minute because she's done really good at that for the last several years. And I applaud what she's done. And her mom supported her 100%. So we appreciate all your hard work, Morgan, on that. And, uh, again, no matter how many times you think you do bad, you do great. Hmm. So thank you for tonight. Thank you so much. We have so much respect for you all. and appreciate you so much. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And I also want to... I just want to thank Senator Kempson, Senator Davis, Senator McLevine, Senator Cromer, and Senator Kempson, and Senator Hutto. 
so much for their support. Glad to see it. Major? Well, Phil, sounds like we're about to get into the end of the show. So, again, thank you, Morgan, for being a part tonight. You support that boating safety bill. Talk to your local legislator. Phil, another great night on the SC Wild. Yes, sir, Major. Great job. Morgan, thank you so much. Best to you and your, your mom and the rest of your family. And thank you, Major. Have a great night, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.